The New Testament reading today comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Thanks be to God. We're talking about emotions this morning, and um, our New Testament scripture reading was dealing with anxiety, and uh, certainly that is uh, a part of uh, the the range, one facet and dimension of the range of emotions we experience. Before we read, uh, we have several scripture passages this morning that deal with, well, from Proverbs perspective, emotions. I just wanted to sort of billboard the big idea of our sermon this morning as we talk about emotions from the book of Proverbs. And that is that outward growth in faith does not always reflect a healthy inner life, okay? So uh, you can be growing in your knowledge of the Lord and you're coming to church more regularly and uh, sort of becoming outwardly a better Christian, but that does not always reflect a healthy inner life. And the big idea is that emotional health and spiritual growth are really inseparable. So let's read our texts for this morning. Proverbs 14 and 10. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety makes the heart of a person depressed, but a good word encourages it. Proverbs 13 and 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And finally, Proverbs 3 and 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Father, now we do thank you for your word. We pray that we would be transformed through this good word regarding what the book of Proverbs has to say about our emotions. Teach us now, transform us through your holy word, which we know has power, because it is the very revealed heart of God. Let us be convicted by its truths and uh, convinced by its power and be transformed, leaving this place differently than the way we came in. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, God has made us whole people in his image. N.T. Wright says that God has not made us as souls, but wholes. That image includes physical and spiritual and emotional and intellectual and social dimensions. Neglect any aspect of who we are as men and women created in the image of God, and there can be disastrous consequences. There are gyms and wellness centers to um, care for our 
the physical aspect, schools and universities to develop the intellect. Churches certainly uh, help us cultivate spiritual disciplines, and our family and friends fill out the social aspects of who we are as human beings. But it's the emotional component that is often the most underdeveloped in people. And one reason for this is because human emotions are like an iceberg. What you see on the surface is really only a fraction of what lies beneath. And because of this underdevelopment, we can be giants in other areas of our life, professional careers, intellectually, socially, while at the same time emotionally stifled. The Bible zeroes in on the heart as the locus of human emotion. The book of Proverbs shows this uncanny sensitivity to the working of the human heart, and in particular to how one's emotions affect one's mental and spiritual and even uh, bodily existence. And so the first thing we need to acknowledge, number one, is the hiddenness of our emotions. Thinking of the iceberg metaphor here, Proverbs 14 and 10, the hiddenness of our emotions. The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. The sages from whom the wisdom of Proverbs is drawn from knew that we walk a lonely path with respect to our inner lives. You can't really know what's going on emotionally inside another person. You can get hints. They can sort of describe and share to you what they're feeling, but you can't really know what another person is deeply feeling. Uh, They can be outwardly joyful and happy, but that may not reveal the whole story. In fact, most people who are struggling with some deep emotional um, circumstance often put on a smiley or happy face. You know this for yourself. Someone at work says, how are you? You say, I'm just fine, but you're not just fine. Our deepest emotions, whether bitterness or joy, can't be completely shared with other people. And in turn, it's hard work to relate to what another person is feeling deep down inside. Now, some people are more gifted at it than others, but it's hard work. And so as much as we might want to relate with people, we really shouldn't be quick to give shallow attempts at empathy. Sometimes the best counsel to someone is not to say, I know what you're feeling, but just to be present. To weep with those who weep, to mourn with those who mourn, and to rejoice with those who rejoice. When I got my bladder cancer diagnosis, I ran into a friend's wife, and she had no doubt heard about the diagnosis from him, but I had not seen her since I got the diagnosis. And when I ran into her, she was not expecting to see me, and when she saw me, she started to weep. I mean, she was almost hysterical. She didn't say anything. She didn't have to say anything. And her crying made me cry and we embraced and just wept together. And I gotta tell you that in all of the sort of comforting words or things people did to empathize and sympathize with me, that one will stand out the most that she just wept with me. 
Scholars, you know, have conjectured for centuries why Jesus wept when Lazarus died, considering that Jesus knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. You know, some people say that he was angry or disappointed with those who doubted his power, but I personally think that Jesus was simply weeping with those who weep. It was a profound act of empathy. But not just that. I think it may be one of the most important statements in all of Scripture, in all of the Bible, that God cried. We know it as Jesus wept, and maybe that doesn't touch us because we've heard it a million times, but just translate that for a minute with the idea that God cried. As you think about human emotions, that God deeply feels emotions, and Jesus, God in the flesh, deeply felt emotions. And the takeaway from all of this is that our emotions may be hidden from others, but they're not hidden from God. God knows what we're feeling. He knows what we're experiencing. The second thing we need to learn is that words impact emotions. Has anyone ever said something to you that ruined your day? Or has anyone ever said something to you that made your day? Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety makes the heart of a person depressed, but a good word encourages it. Words can be powerful containers of hope. And you know, hope is exactly what the anxious heart needs. Because anxiety is future-oriented, right? If you have anxiety, if, if you are worried and stressed, you are often worried and stressed about what the future holds or doesn't hold with you, for you. If you have fears, they're often about the future. You don't have fears about the past, the past is gone. But your fears, your, str- your stresses, anxieties are about what's gonna happen the next few minutes, days, weeks, years. And persistent anxiety leads to depression. And you can understand why, because if the future is bleak, it robs you of hope. I mean, if you don't have a positive outlook on the future, it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. And this may be one of the reasons why severely depressed people cannot get out of bed in the morning, because the future is not bright in their mind. The future is bleak. But time and time again, and this is something that'll happen if you read through your Bible, you'll recognize over and over again, God reassures his people with what? With hope. God, that's how he reassures us, with hope. And hope is very closely connected with faith. There's a reason why Jeremiah 29.11 is one of the most well-known verses in the entire Bible. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for peace and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now in context, God is speaking to Israel because in the captivity, their expectation about what God would do with them as a nation had been completely obliterated, and God restores to their hearts his original promise that he would prosper them as a people. And so he speaks that word to them, and I've wrestled with that passage, you know, because everyone uses it as sort of like God was speaking directly to them, and I critiqued it, you know, as my theology got better and said, that's not for you, that's for the children of Israel, you're taking it out of context. And now I've come sort of full circle again and realized that there is some sense in which 
Yes, these words were not spoken to us directly. God was speaking to Israel. But there is some sense in which we can grab a hold of Jeremiah 29, 11 and be confident with that sense of hope that God does know the plans he has towards us. And if our future is in doubt in our own heart, it's not in doubt in God's mind. God loves us. He knows the plans that he has for us. God's plans for us are always good. To give us a future, to give us a hope, to declare to us that tomorrow will be better than today because God is present in tomorrow even though we haven't gotten there yet. Hope starts with words of encouragement. And you know, that's exactly what good counseling is. Whether from a friend or a pastor or a professional, what is good counseling but someone who is skillful in using words to sort of uncover what's going on inside your heart and help you dream of a future that is brighter than today if you're struggling with depression. The third thing we should know is that disappointment affects emotion. Proverbs 13 and 12, we all, many of us, maybe not all of us, but many of us know this passage. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Disappointment is the feeling of sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's expectations. Now, if I said we're gonna do a little exercise, where each one of you is gonna raise your hand and I'm gonna call on you and you're gonna share about a time when an expectation you had didn't come to pass or didn't come to fruition, every single one of you would have something to say. Because you've all experienced it. You've all experienced the disappointment of the non-fulfillment of something you were hoping for, praying for, expecting. And it sets in, disappointment does, when not just something, but someone. It's not just a circumstance, it can be a person you've hoped for, longed for, prayed for, expected, doesn't happen, doesn't show up, doesn't do what you expected them to do. We're not just disappointed by circumstances, we're disappointed in people. People can disappoint us. People can make our heart sick, can't they? People we love, and those are, the, those are the disappointments that hurt the most. When the people we love disappoint us, when the people we love let us down, and maybe the biggest disappointments we ever experience is when God himself lets us down. And that happens. We've all experienced it. Maybe you're waiting right now for God to do something, and you've prayed and you prayed, and your patience has run out, and your hope has been deferred, and because of that, there's heart sickness, there's emotional pain, and maybe it's caused bitterness, sadness, or depression. Maybe it's thrown your faith into a tailspin, and you find that it's hard to pray. How do we cope with it? How do we cope with that kind of disappointment, either from a circumstance, or a person, or God himself? How do we cope with disappointment? Well, one way is to never expect anything. As Alexander Pope famously said, blessed is he who expects to receive nothing, for he shall never be disappointed. That's one way. Or we can cope the way the Bible tells us to cope, 
by giving thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I realize that this is totally counterintuitive, but giving thanks isn't just some kind of exercise, like, well, I know you're disappointed, but just give thanks anyway. Actually, it's a command. It's a command that God gives to us very sternly and firmly. And why do we need to give thanks? Why do we need to be commanded to give thanks? Because temporal disappointment can snuff out the praise rightly owed to God for eternal benefits that he pours out on us. In other words, whatever you're going through right now, this temporal situation you're experiencing, if you're not careful, has the potential to rob the praise that ought to come from you toward God for the eternal benefits that he is pouring out and has poured out on us in Christ. When you count up all of your blessings, when you start to see all the hopes and dreams God has fulfilled, thank him for the prayers he has answered. And if we do that, we'll likely find that God has been far more gracious to us than we realize. We'll find that many of our desires have been fulfilled. I don't know about you, but I started to, in my weekly prayer routine, dedicate certain days just for Thanksgiving. No petition. And what that does is it forces me to backtrack through my own history with God. And when I look at and count the blessings and look at all the things God has done for me, and I start naming in prayer all the ways God has answered prayer and blessed me and saved me and delivered me and all these different things, my heart is lifted from disappointment. It's lifted from that sense of depression sometimes that I feel. Now I realize there's clinical depression and sometimes that may not get at it entirely, but this certainly will help. It's, it's a command from God that we ought to give thanks in every circumstance. And then after we've done that, we need to repent for being ungrateful. Yes, I said that. You need to repent at times for being ungrateful, and so do I. And the second thing we need to do is surrender those deferred hopes to God's will. Not to give up, but to give in to God's sovereignty over our lives. You don't stop praying and asking. You can pray for something and surrender it at the same time. Now, this is something that people struggle with, the theological sort of tension between prayer and God's sovereignty. And I just want to say there really is no tension there. God longs for us to come to him with our petitions. God commands us, invites us, desires for us to come before him with prayers, with petitions, with hopes, with all of those things. He delights in hearing it. He delights in answering it. And at the same time, God is sovereign over our prayer requests. That's all. God is sovereign over our prayer requests, but that doesn't mean we're not to pray. It doesn't mean we're not to bring those things before him. And this, I think, is where the rubber meets the road for a lot of us who have experienced disappointment because for some of us, we've stopped praying 
at least maybe for ourselves. Maybe we feel more comfortable praying for other people, but we just don't want to pray for ourselves because we've been disappointed by God so many times that we just don't want to go there again because if God doesn't answer, we don't know if our heart can take it. But yet God invites us to come to him in prayer and in faith. A diminishing prayer life is a ploy from Satan to diminish your faith because weakening faith always begins with a lack of prayer. So Proverbs wants us to understand, one, the hiddenness of our emotions. It also teaches us that words impact our emotions. It tells us that disappointment affects our emotions. And then finally, we should recognize, and this may be the most important point of all, that God designs our emotions to be a gauge, not a guide. Our emotions are a gauge, not a guide. Proverbs 3 and 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. I, I think one, pe- one, one overreaction to emotions, or one reaction to emotions, is to basically let all of our emotions have their way. If we're angry, we blow up. If we're sad, we're, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. We just allow our emotions or what we feel to dictate to us what we should do. The other pendulum swing is to deny we have any emotions. And both of those are an extreme. And what God wants us to know is that our emotions are there for a reason and they're important. But at the same time, they're, they're not a guide for us. They don't dictate to us what we have to do. And so if spiritual warfare is about anything, it's about the deceitfulness of indwelling sin trying to use your emotions against you. Emotions are good, they're from God, and at the same time, we are sinners, which means we do not always do with our emotions what we should do. Not to deny we have emotions. That's an overreaction. That's an error, right? In fact, we probably could stand to be a little more in touch with our emotions, for sure. Matthew 15, 19, Jesus makes this statement when the Pharisees are talking to Jesus about the disciples eating with unwashed hands and potentially eating food that is unclean, Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. It's not what goes into a person that defiles him, but what comes out of him. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. And that's interesting because the beginning, I I told you that in Proverbs, the heart is the locus of emotions. And Jesus says, out of the heart comes all of these sins. In other words, unrestrained emotions and desires and passions and feelings can cause us to do all sorts of terrible things. Not emotions themselves, but if we allow them to have their way with us. If the heart is the locus of emotions, the heart cannot be trusted. Right? Just go with your heart. Probably not. I know for myself, and people tell me, you know, go, go with your gut. That is, I, I've learned about myself, I cannot do that. 
Because for me, like my gut is usually to punch somebody in the mouth when I get upset or something. And like, I, I, it's taken me a long time through practice to clamp down on those things. And so I cannot go with my heart. And the Bible tells us the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. So what should we do with our heart? Proverbs 3 and 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And don't lean to your own understanding. Well, this seems like the right way. Well, hold on, time out, pause button. Let me seek some counsel from the word of God. Let me talk to some brothers and sisters, maybe my pastor. Let me pray about it before I respond because I feel like I wanna do this, but this may not be the right thing. Christian writer John Bloom says, emotions aren't imperatives. They're not your boss. They're indicatives. They're reports. Our emotions are reporting to us about what's happening inside, how something external may be making us feel, maybe something internal. They're indicatives. They're reports. They are not commandments to you telling you you must do this or that. They don't have to be obeyed or acted on. They simply tell you there's something going on. Pay attention to it. And so emotions shouldn't be suppressed. You shouldn't pretend you're not angry. You shouldn't pretend you're not sad. You shouldn't pretend you're not disappointed. And I think that's where probably many of us come from because when we get around other Christians or we have this idea of what it means to be a Christian, it's you know this perfect little person who is always upbeat and always happy. Something horrible happens and you just have to say, well, God, God must have some plan in it. You know, it's like Flanders from The Simpsons, and one day you're just going to crack. <laughs> and that's not the picture from Scripture. You have to counter everything you feel, especially when it says something untrue about the nature and character of God. You have to counter it with the promises of God. And this is where faith trumps what we see with our eyes. Because if you look at your circumstances, you look at the world with the eyes in your head, it tells you a picture about life and reality and about God that is impossible to maintain your faith. But if you look at the word of God, if you look at the promises of God, and this is one of the, the reasons why the word of God is powerful, is the eyes of faith say, look at what God has promised in his word. Look at what God has promised in his word. Because this, it tells us the truth about who God is. Our circumstances don't always do that. Our emotions don't always do that. The world we live in doesn't always do that. But the word of God does. It faithfully tells us about who and what God is and the promises that he has made. And we grab onto those promises and that's how we counter the sort of up and down emotions we experience. Listen, in conclusion... Emotions aren't bad. We're not called to be Stoics. The Greek word that the Stoics grabbed a hold of was apatheia. And you know what that means. It's apathy. That is not what the Christian life is about. It's not an emotionless life. It's not an apathetic life. Jesus was anything but a Stoic. He was anything but apathetic. He deeply felt human emotions. If emotions were sinful, that wouldn't be the case. He felt grief. He carried sorrows. 
He entered in wholeheartedly into the human experience to redeem our fallen emotions. He felt compassion, was moved with pity. He wept over Lazarus, wailed over Jerusalem in tears. He sighed over the deaf man. His heart was grieved at the hardness of people's hearts and often let himself be carried away by his emotions when it was the right thing to do, and sometimes it is. He endured the emotional shame of the cross, and that's an emotion, isn't it, shame? For the joy that awaited him on the other side, another emotion. Jesus lived for us in our place, the perfect human life, with every emotion in close alignment with the heart of God. May our prayer be this morning that our emotions will be brought into close alignment with the very heart of God. Not to not feel emotions, but that we bring them into closeness, alignment, and fellowship with the very heart of God through Jesus' power. Amen. Father, we thank you now that you felt what we feel and you subjected yourself to the range of human emotions without sin, but certainly you felt them. You felt anger and compassion, frustration, disgust. Lord, you take our emotional jungles and you make them into beautiful gardens. You cultivate them by your spirit and in your love through your power and through your word. And we pray, Lord, this morning that you would so transform us that our emotions would bear out the very heart and mind of God in all that we do and say going forward. Give us this power and strength in your spirit to do this. We know you will. In Christ's name, amen.